0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series, Reasons to Believe, so let's turn to our Bibles to John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, as we hear a message entitled, What it means to be born again.
1: I'm old enough to remember one American presidential candidate who made history by openly saying that he was born again. You know, to my knowledge, that was, at the time, not a common thing to say. And not long after that, one of the disgraced members of the President Richard Nixon cabinet, that is, Charles Colson, converted to Christ while in prison. He was serving a sentence related to his activities as part of the Watergate affair. And Colson's book was entitled, Born Again. And since those days, the phrase born again tends to rise and fall in popularity due to a large number of factors. But always at the very heart of the debate about being born again are the words of Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 3 records him as saying, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I have personal memories regarding that phrase. I was then a university student and had formed a rich friendship with a young man my own age who was studying for the Roman Catholic priesthood. We were discussing the words born again, and I was telling my friend that he too needed to be born again. And Tony responded, clearly we have a difference in ideology. And I responded by saying, well, Tony, I think you have a difference in ideology with Jesus. And that started a long search for him to see whether it was true that he had a difference in ideology with Jesus. Now, in recent years, I must say, one hears the phrase born again a lot less frequently than one used to. Now, I strongly suspect that the reason for that is because the phrase has been so badly abused. I remember a time when one of the leading pornographers in the United States claimed that he was born again, but he also committed to carrying on his pornographic magazine as it celebrated, he said, the beauty of the bodies that God had made. Now, no secular reporter believed him even for a moment. He was just the same old guy claiming religion and then carrying on as before. And then to make the matter even more tragic were the words of a prominent U.S. clergyman, He said, only God knows the heart. Who are we to question whether or not this pornographer has been born again or not? You know, in the secular media, well, they looked as if they'd just been given a wonderful gift. They couldn't wait to exploit this matter. But all that aside, we're still left with the clear teaching of Jesus. If you listened to me yesterday, you heard me quote Jesus, unless one is born again, one cannot see the kingdom of God. And the context of that statement came as a result of a member of the Pharisees coming to see Jesus at night. Nicodemus had begun with the words, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And at that point, Jesus interrupted him and told him that there was a lack in his life. Nicodemus, the respected religious teacher of Israel, would not see the kingdom of God. He needed to be born again. Now, if that's true. And I can't think of anything more vital than to ask ourselves, well, what did Jesus mean when he spoke of the new birth? Now, did he mean that unless you prayed the sinner's prayer, you you can't get to heaven? Unless you've had a certain religious experience, you can't get to heaven. I mean, what does he mean? And just to further muddy the waters for a little bit, let me read an article that comes from the Roman Catholic website in answer to the question of whether Roman Catholics are born again. And here's what the website says. It says, when a Catholic says that he's been born again, he refers to the transformation that God's grace accomplished in him during baptism. Evangelical Protestants believe it means to make a decision for Christ by praying the sinner's prayer, end of quote. Well, I would say that about sums it up. So the question for me is not, What do Catholics think it is or what do evangelicals think it is? Rather, the question is, since Jesus said you can't get into heaven without it, let's find out what Jesus thought it was. And if you think you're confused about the term born again, well, you're really not alone. Nicodemus, the Pharisee who heard Jesus tell him he needed to be born again, well, he was confused as well. So let's pick up the narrative in John chapter 3, verse 4, right after Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born again. So I'm reading John chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So let's go back again to verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old, asks Nicodemus. Now there are two possible ways to understand his response. Nicodemus might be saying that he flat out just doesn't understand, or he might be saying that he's too old to change like that. You see, he might be saying, what I have become and what I am today is set by my age. I would have to reenter my mother's womb a second time and get a second chance at life for that to happen to me. Now, if it is the second thing that he says, any of us might be able to identify with that. You see, change comes so very hard once behavior patterns are set over years of repetition. It was Lord Alfred Tennyson who once said, Ah, for a man to arise in me, that the man I am may cease to be. Most of us can identify with that sentiment. Change comes so very hard. You know, some of us can't conceive of life being different than what it has become in us. You know, we are what we are. It may well be that we tell ourselves that we are too set in our ways to change. You know, like Scrooge, when visited by the ghost of Christmas past, asked that spirit to find a more fit person to approach. He, he said, was too old to change. But all of those excuses keep us away from what Jesus is saying. Indeed, Nicodemus' response does tell us he has a great deal of difficulty conceiving how a radical transformation in himself is possible. And so, how can a man be born when he is old? And to that, Jesus answers, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then, in verse 6, to further clarify, he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit is Spirit. You know, there are a number of theories as to what Jesus actually meant here. You know, some have suggested that the water he spoke of here is amniotic fluid. So, according to this theory, Jesus meant you need a natural birth, and then you need a supernatural birth. First, you have to be born a human being, and then you have to be born of the Spirit. Now, there are a number of things to commend that theory, but still, it's highly unlikely because water is never used by Jesus to refer to amniotic fluid. And so, it does seem like an unlikely solution. You know, others suggest Jesus meant baptism. You have to be born again, and then you have to be baptized. Now, although that seems to fit very nicely with some folks' theology... But it seems very unlikely that Jesus would have said that to Nicodemus when, in fact, Christian baptism had not yet been initiated. So as attractive as it might be to tie what Jesus said to Christian baptism, you know, we should be able to see now that since there was no such thing as Christian baptism at the time, clearly that's not what Jesus said. I mean, the more likely explanation is that Jesus was actually quoting the Old Testament to Nicodemus. I mean, remember, Jesus asks him if he's Israel's teacher. If he's Israel's teacher, how do you not know this teaching? How do you not know about the new birth? See, Jesus is saying to him, if you'd been paying attention to the very scripture that you're teaching, you'd have instantly known what it is that I'm talking about. And so we can say with certainty that Jesus believes that the idea of the new birth is found in the Old Testament, or as I like to call it, the the First Testament. But where do we start? Well, let me read Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. The passage says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." You see, Nicodemus should have thought of Ezekiel 36 because this passage connects the teaching of the new birth to both water and to the action of the Holy Spirit. So the water represents the water of cleansing, or the forgiveness of sins. And then the heart is changed so that the person who's cleansed now loves what he once hated. He loves the commands of God. More about that when we come back.
0: The regular gifts of our partner to tell monthly partners have become the very backbone to sustain the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada programs that reach out to every demographic using every possible medium teaching the truth of god's word that speaks into every area and question of life partner to tell monthly partners are critical to the ongoing ministry of back to the bible canada's daily bible teaching program with dr john Newfeld. they support the ongoing ministry to young adults through in doubt they provide messages of hope and joy shared daily that point to Jesus through Laugh Again. And now your gifts will become increasingly important as Truth in Life today reaches potentially millions of households offering biblical truth that engages culture. Thank you for all you do. And if you're interested in joining the ranks of Partner to Tell Partners, do so today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: when Jesus spoke about being born again, he was clearly referring to two things. The first was forgiveness from impurity or from sin. The second was an action of the Holy Spirit which changed what we might call the inclination of the heart. See, at one time, our hearts were as stone towards God. We, we simply weren't inclined to welcome God's decrees. We found God an in unwelcome intrusion into our lives. But now the heart's changed, or to use Ezekiel's words, the heart of stone has been transplanted by a heart of flesh, a heart that is now inclined to to welcome God's intrusion into our lives. And so just like natural birth, when we were first born, we came to life. In the same way, in spiritual birth, when we're born again, our hearts come to life regarding the things of God. A holy hunger is created within us. We can't get enough of God. We we can't get enough of his promises and his commands. Any intrusion into our lives by God is greeted with, with eagerness and with joy, with earnestness, with a devotion that shouts out, Lord, show me your ways that I might walk in your truth. The activity of the Spirit changes our hearts from being sin lovers to lovers of God. That's what Jesus was talking about. Two actions are required. The first is forgiveness. When Christ died on the cross, his sacrifice on our behalf paid for our sins. But Jesus also sent us the Holy Spirit, and his presence in our lives gives us power and anointing to live the life of the Spirit. So when we're born again, our sins are forgiven and we receive the Holy Spirit. Radically changes the nature of our desires, or as the older theologians put it, our affections. The strong inclinations of the born-again heart is to love the things of God above all other things. And Jesus compares this to the wind. You can't see it, but you can feel its effect. And the same is true with a new birth. You can't control the Holy Spirit. You you can't predict the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see what he has done in a human life. I remember years ago leading a, a Bible study for seekers, and our first conversation was around whether Christian faith was real. I mean, was it true? And a young police officer by the name of Richard shared about what he thought. His wife had recently come to faith in Christ, and he told the group he had always discounted the Christian message, but what had happened to his wife, he said, it was simply undeniable. It felt like being married to a different woman. He said, how do I explain that? I explained that the only explanation for that was found in Galatians 5, to 23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This had replaced hatred and rage and selfish ambition and factions, drunkenness and impurity, and Richard had to agree. Interestingly enough, Nicodemus, well, he wasn't going there. Look at verse 9. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? You know, he had taught other things, other conditions regarding entrance into the kingdom. And as a good Pharisee, He would have taught the necessity of obedience to God, devotion to God, of happy submission to the will of God, but he had never spoken about Ezekiel's new heart, brought about by an action of the Holy Spirit. In short, Nicodemus believed that you have to do your best and then you'd get to heaven. And so Jesus directly confronts him. I'm reading verses 10 and 11. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. You notice the we and the you, as in you people. When Nicodemus first came to Jesus, I mean, he started by using we to speak about his people, the religious people that he represented And Jesus, interestingly enough, now speaks about his people. He's speaking, of course, about God the Father. Nicodemus might have intellectual friends who had their own theories of heaven, but but Jesus, well, he'd, he'd actually been there. Years ago, I saw a movie on the life of the English explorer Captain James Cook, who in the 1700s created such detailed maps of his voyages that there was little for his successors to do but to admire his work. In one of the scenes in that movie, Captain Cook had been invited to a meeting of a geographical society in England, and placed on the wall was a map agreed to by all the scholars of the day. It imagined that there was a great continent located in what we now know to be the South Pacific Ocean. And Cook responded by saying this was wrong. But all the scholars laughed at him because every intellectual in England agreed on what the map should look like. This, they said, is what all intellectuals had agreed upon. This is how the world looks. And Cook merely said that he'd been there. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. You want to know about heaven? Talk to the man who has been there. See, that's excellent counsel. Nicodemus, stop esteeming your theological religious friends. I mean, what do they know about heaven and how to get there? The real question in life is this. Who are you going to trust? Will you place your hope in eternity in what you've been taught, what you've always believed, how you were raised, or the efforts you produce in living a good life? Or will you place your hope in the man who's been there, who has come from God himself? So let's keep reading. John chapter 3, verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You know, the earthly things, I think, refers to the new birth. It's earthly because it happens to people right here in this earth. You know, furthermore, the teaching of the new birth is as basic as it gets. It's fundamental. Now, says Jesus, if you can't even get this basic point, I mean, what's the use of telling you about the glories of heaven? So let's keep reading. Verse 13 No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You know, in ancient Judaism, there were a lot of stories about people who were reported to have gone to heaven and who had gotten special revelations from God. But in contrast to that, Jesus is saying, look, no one has ascended to heaven in such a way as, as to return and talk about it. But he says, I came from heaven. And by the way, in our day, I mean, we, we see this fascination around books of people who supposedly have gone to heaven and they're reporting back to us of, of what it's like. I mean, people are fascinated with this kind of stuff and with angels and with heavenly beings. I mean, all that stuff is, is you know, we can't get enough of it. But Jesus, well, he is the man of heaven. He not only came from there, he actually created heaven. It's it's his handiwork. And with that, Jesus sums up his teaching. And I'm, I'm reading verse 14 and 15. He says, and as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. If you don't know what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about an incident. It's described in Numbers chapter 21. The incident in question is a time when when the Israelites were complaining against God and they they were disbelieving his promises. And so God sent fiery serpents among the people and many in the community are dying. And the people are in despair, and they cry out to Moses, and Moses prays for the people, and God instructs Moses to make an image of a fiery serpent, put it on a pole, and everyone who's bitten need only to look at the serpent on the pole, and they're going to live. You know, that's an amazing account of God's mercy, but that's what Jesus is saying. He also will be lifted up on a pole, and that all who have been bitten by sin and by Satan will be healed when they look at him. Now, you must sense that your only hope for eternity rests with the man who comes out of eternity. Your only hope for heaven rests with the man who has come down from heaven. Every other prophet, every other religious leader is just a man who told us about heaven as best as he could, but this man came from heaven. And second, we must also see that sin is like a snake bite. Sin is terminal cancer of the soul. You're not good enough for God. Your sins are dragging you into an eternity that's altogether frightening. If right now you're relying on your religiosity or your good works or even your baptism to get you to heaven, you're mistaken. The only answer to the sin question is to look at Christ. You got to look at him for eternal life so that you might live. It's called faith. You can't change your heart. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't become the person who enters the kingdom of God. You've got to look to him for a new heart. There's nothing that you can do. No church, no ritual, no discipline can accomplish this. You must be born again, and just like natural birth, you didn't pull that one off either. Trust in Jesus for the new heart. And if you do, you will live. He will give you the new birth.
0: John, I think this is important.
1: Really quickly, what do you think it really means to be born again? I mean, first of all, we need to acknowledge that the new birth is an action of God in our lives, wherein by the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit changes our hearts so that we come to love God beyond all other things. Unless God does something in us, it will not be done. But let's also acknowledge that the way in which we are born again is through faith, by believing that Christ died for our sins and we accept his free offer of salvation. And through that, the new birth comes to us.
0: Thanks, John. Remember to join us right here again tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Can I Smoke Pot? Well, this month on Truth and Life Today, Dr. John Newfeld welcomed Mark Ward to discuss his book, Can I Smoke Pot, Marijuana in the Light of Scripture. You know, By looking at the biblical teaching on creation, government, medicine and alcohol, this book sets out to help people make wise and God-honoring decisions about marijuana use. Rather than just providing a list of proof texts, Can I Smoke Pot? Marijuana in the Light of Scripture, looks at what the Bible teaches as a unified whole, from Genesis to Revelation, so we can more confidently answer the question, what does the Bible say? So for the month of April, we want to make this timely book available to our listeners for only $8, and it includes shipping, handling, and taxes. So give us a call today, would you? The number is 1-800-663-2425, or visit backtothebible.ca, and remember to order yours today
1: because quantities are limited.